0: Well, good morning again. So glad you're with us. If you're here in the room, if you're joining us in 101, 102, or online, we're thankful you are with us. Um, I know the big part of today is really celebrating our seniors, and so sermon-wise, I'm going to keep it short. We will have an invitation at the end for anyone to repent of sin, and you will definitely need to come forward. So we are um, today wrapping up our second series in this sermon trilogy from the Gospel of Mark. And um, we're going to kind of take a break through the summer from Mark um, just to have a little bit of variety, and we'll come back to Mark in the fall. In two weeks, we're going to start a new series called The War of Prayer, and I am really excited about about jumping into this series and talking about the importance of prayer in our life, Um, because I know last year, this last year has been such a difficult year. I, I really do hope and pray that this is going to be a series that will richly, richly bless you. So um, this morning, we're going to be back in Mark chapter 10 as we finish up. When I was in college, um, I guess I was a, going into my junior year, and during my sophomore year, a group of friends of mine, we came back from a road trip in, in baseball, and it's probably two in the morning when we get home, and we're just sitting around our dorm room talking, and we said, hey, you know what? This summer, let's take a trip to the beach, so right before we go back to school, we're going to take this big trip. We called it Y two um, Trip to the Sea Y2K. Um, we were really going to the Gulf of Mexico, so, you know, kind of the sea thing. And so we planned and planned all summer, and we saved our money, and we were going to get this super nice suite on the beach in Destin, Florida, and we were going to rent um, jet skis and go deep sea fishing and all these things, and so... It finally comes time for the trip. It's August, and we're super excited to go. And my buddy Kenny and I are talking, and then all of a sudden, some of our friends start calling and saying, Hey, um, we're not going to go with y'all. We, we hadn't saved up enough money. We can't afford to do this. Da, 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 da. And so, my friend Kenny and I said, um, You know, we've saved all summer. We have these reservations, we have everything planned. We're still going. And so, we decided that just the two of us are taking this trip to the beach, and we're going to just celebrate and have a great time. And so we take off in his, um, I guess, 1996 red Jeep Grand Cherokee, and we're driving, and we're super, super excited. We've left Dallas. We're on I-20 heading through Louisiana and Mississippi. And do you know what is really easy to do on your way to an exciting trip like that? Back before you had these computerized cars that start beeping at you and saying, hey, you're almost out of gas. It's really easy to be super excited and forget you need gas. And so there we are on the side of the road on I-20, super excited about this trip and not able to go anywhere because we were out of gas. And this was really when cell phones were just now starting to become popular, and thankfully I had one, and so we didn't really know what to do, and so we're calling state troopers and saying, can you come pick us up and give us a ride to a gas station? And we wait all day, it seems like, I think it was probably like 15, 20 minutes, for them to drive us what turned out to be about a mile down the road to get gas, and it was one of those things we were just so, so excited about what we were getting to do in this journey we were on. We didn't really think about all the implications. And I think for the disciples, they have been on this journey super excited that they're following Jesus, and then they start to encounter these moments that start to challenge them and start start to make them question what they're doing. Can we actually do this? Can we actually make it? And from this series, the whole point of the series has been based around Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah. And the question we've been asking during this series is, what are the implications of our confession that Jesus is Messiah? Because it's one of those things that we can say, Jesus, we believe you're Messiah. Peter, the apostles, make this confession, Jesus, we believe you are the Messiah. But then the question is, okay, so what are the implications What does it really mean to confess that Jesus is the Messiah? And so Jesus, two times prior to this, has told his disciples that he is going to die. That he's going to be given over and he's going to die. And then in chapter 10, verse 32, it says this. They were on their way, and remember we've been looking at this idea of Jesus on a journey. Jesus is going somewhere. And Mark has not told us where until now. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. So they're on this journey. They're going up to Jerusalem because Jesus is telling them again he's going to be going on. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And so you have this mix of emotions with people that are with Jesus. There are some that are amazed and astonished. He's saving people. He's healing people. He's making dead people um, raise. He's helping blind see. He's helping the mute speak. And they're amazed, are astonished at what they're seeing. But there are also these that are terrified because I think they understand the implications of what Jesus is saying. They understand what it means. To follow him and so again he tells them that he's going to be handed over to the religious leaders and they're going to hand him over to the Gentile leaders and he's going to be crucified and and I think they're starting to grasp and starting to understand what he's saying then in verse 35 then James and John they get Jesus alone the sons of Zebedee came to him teacher they said We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, if you've ever wondered what age are the disciples, just judging by this question alone, I would say 15 or 16. (laughs) We want you to do whatever we ask. Here's what Jesus responds with What do you want me to do for you? Now you come to Jesus and you say, We want you, we believe you have power, we've seen you do amazing things. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus responds, What do you want me to do for you? If you're a teenager, imagine asking your parents, We want you to do whatever. We ask, okay, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Here's their response. Let us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. What do you want me to do? We want power. We want prestige. We want glory. We want to matter. When your kingdom, we've given up everything. Remember just a few verses earlier. We've given up everything to follow you. We want to sit at your right and left when you're in glory. When you are king over all the world, we want to be there with you. And then Jesus goes on. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Now, if you'll remember back, we've been kind of watching the disciples struggle with Jesus' statements. Because Jesus talks in paradox, and he talks through parables, and he's using metaphors, and at times he's literal, And it seems like the disciples are really struggling to to figure out what Jesus is saying, what he's asking of them. And so they respond, we can, we can, we can drink the cup, in fact, we're going to sit at a table in just a few short days and we're going to sit around this table, we're going to drink this cup together, we've been doing this for a while, and we can be baptized because you were baptized by John in the Jordan River. And we could do that too. And I'm guessing maybe already did. We can. We can. But what Jesus has in mind is something bigger. Because he's not just talking about a a literal cup, and he's not just talking about the literal baptism. He's really talking about the, the cup of God's wrath. He's talking about baptism into death, this cross. And he goes on to tell them that you're going to face the same thing. You're going to have to walk this road with me. But he goes on to tell them that the first are going to be last, right? The the ones who want to be in that position of glory are going to have to be a servant of all. They're going to to be a slave. They're going to have to give up what they think is important. They're going to have to give up their seats of power and glory and come to serve this world. Because what they wanted was this incredible coronation where Jesus comes into power and he sits on his throne. And they want to be sitting at the right and left. But they don't understand that his coronation will be on a cross. And those two seats at his right and left have already been given to two criminals. That will find this seat in glory. And he looks at these disciples and he says you don't understand what you're asking. You don't truly understand the implications of following me and giving me your life and serving me as king. And I wonder how often our mindset drifts into the mindset into the the view of the disciples where we want Jesus to come back in power and we want to have this prominent place in the kingdom and we want to matter what Jesus says to these disciples I think he says to you and I if you want to be first you must be last if you want to be over all you must come under You must be willing to serve and give your life, to lay down your life for the kingdom. then he says in verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you'll remember back, this series, this Messiah series, started in chapter 8, right after this Confession. But right before the confession, there's the story of a blind man who receives his sight. As they're trying to figure out who Jesus is, there's a blind man. And this section closes out with a really similar story about a blind man. Verse 46, then they came to Jericho. Remember, they're traveling. They come to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. So the disciples are on this journey with him. They're along the road with him. Jesus is leading the way up to Jerusalem. And now in the story, you have a blind man who's not on the way with them, who's not on the road with them. In fact, he's sitting beside the roadside, he's begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If you're new to this whole church thing and not real sure about the Bible and you're wondering, okay, who is Jesus' dad? It Was his name David? No, his name was not David. His name was actually Joseph. So why then does he say, son of David, if David wasn't really his father? And the reason he says the son of David is because of a really old Old Testament prophecy that they had talked about and they had known about because the new king of Israel, this Messiah that they waited for, was going to come from the line of David. He was going to be a king from that family. He says this in Jeremiah, the days are coming and Here Jeremiah is prophesying, he's talking about Israel being invited back out of exile, Um, and he's kind of blasting the shepherds of Israel for their neglect of the people of Israel. But he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteous Savior. So he's sitting along the roadside and he's begging And then he hears that this is Jesus of Nazareth. And then he begins to say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Question, who does this man believe Jesus is? The anointed king. The Messiah. The one that we have been waiting for because we believe he is the hope of the world. And when others hear this, they get angry at this man. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Going on. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Have we heard that question before? Just a few short verses before, here are the disciples. We want glory. We want prominence. We want power. We want to be at your right and left. Can we ask you anything? What do you want me to do for you? And here's a blind man. Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. When I was in youth ministry in Cleburne, Texas, there was a lady in our church named Donna, and Donna could not see. She was blind. And so one day um, as a part of what we were doing in our youth group, I decided, you know what, we're teaching this story. Actually, I think it might have been from John's version of one of these stories. And so I said, I'm going to bring Donna in for all the teenagers, and I'm going to interview her. And I'm going to ask her the very same question that Jesus asked this blind man, Bartimaeus. If you could ask Jesus for anything in the world, what would it be? And of course, all of us know the answer, right? She would want to see. Guess what? That's not what she said. And I was sitting there with a group of teenagers thinking, how in the world do I tie this in to what I'm saying? Because this totally messed up the point I was making. So much so that I don't even remember what she said she wanted God to do for her. Because I had this perception of of wanting to see. And I, I wonder in this story, if that's what he truly wants. Or let me clarify. If that's all he truly wants. If it's just wanting to physically see. Or is he really asking to get a bigger glimpse of the kingdom of God? Because this man. This man has his cloak, I'm guessing, spread out because this is Jerusalem, all right? right around Jerusalem. It's hot. He's probably not wearing his cloak. Most of the beggars would have laid their cloak out so that people passing by along the road could throw money onto it. And there he is, calling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus calls to him. He says, I want to see. Go. Said Jesus, your faith, your your faith that I am the son of David, that I am the anointed one, that I am Messiah, has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He, He finally is able to see. But here's the thing. He could see before he could actually see. This wasn't just simply about physically being able to see. This was about truly being able to see who Jesus is. That He is the Messiah. And it provides such interesting, contrasting stories that are all just kind of grouped here At the end of this chapter, you you have this blind Bartimaeus who has everything he owns, I'm guessing, on a cloak. And all the money that he's gotten from begging. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And he leaves everything he has and goes and follows him. Because he understands who Jesus is. Contrasted with the disciples who have given up everything they have to follow him. And they even remind Jesus of that. Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. But they're still struggling to see, to fully see the implications of the story. And last week, we looked at this rich man who comes to Jesus and asks, what is it? What do I have to do to be a part of the kingdom of God? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, I love you. Now go sell everything you own. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And says the man goes away sad. You have these three different stories with people in three different places on this journey, all struggling to see who Jesus is. And Jesus offers them all the invitation, come and follow me. And you have one who hears the invitation and says, you know what? I don't believe, or I'm not willing to give it up. And I find it interesting. You have this blind man who doesn't have much, who gives up everything to go follow Jesus. And you have this other man who has everything and can't let go. Is it possible? the more we have, the more difficult it is to let go? Is it possible the more that we have, the more difficult it is to trust in someone besides ourselves. Is it possible that we can get so fixated on this kingdom and what we're doing here and now that we lose sight of this eternal kingdom that God is building through His people? I would say, absolutely. It's so easy to lose sight. And for this rich man, he turns away. And he's not willing to count or pay the cost. And for these disciples, they're struggling with every single day along the road what it means to really follow and give their life to Jesus. And then you have this blind man who could not see, but yet somehow he could see. And Jesus opens his eyes, and the only thing that changes is his location and his proximity to Jesus. Because from now on, he's going to be right by his side, following Jesus along the way. One of the most difficult things that Jesus calls us to is to trust Him over all that we have. Because all that we have is tactile and we can touch it and we can hold on to it. And it can get us out of trouble and it can help us help other people, and we can find ourselves so tied to it that it's almost impossible for us to trust someone outside of ourselves. I would say, seniors, this is going to be one of the most difficult tasks of your life. But I would be selling us all short. Because that's not just true for you seniors, that's true for each and every one of us. The most difficult request of Jesus is follow me and trust me with all that you have and all that you are. And I will take care of you. Father, we thank you. And Father, we ask for your forgiveness when we struggle to see, when we struggle to grasp, when we struggle to understand. We ask for your forgiveness when we trust in what we do have, when we're not willing to take chances, and we're not willing to take risks and we're not willing to give big because father it does not make sense so many times in our eyes father I pray through your spirit that you would convict us that you would challenge us and that you would help us take a step forward as we follow you today to trust you just a little bit more today than we did the day before. Father, we thank you. and We pray for your grace to flood our lives as we follow you with all that we are and all that we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we finish this morning, we're going to have shepherds at the back of this room. If we could help you, if we could pray over you, with you, If you want to give your life to Jesus and be baptized in His name, um, they would love to help you, to talk with you, to pray with you, whatever we could do um, as together we as a church body follow Jesus. So um, our shepherds and their wives will be at the back of this room while we stand and sing.